This episode is sponsored by a donor to Global Wellness Institute, or GWI. GWI is a 501c3 nonprofit organization with a mission to empower wellness worldwide by educating the public and private sectors about preventative health and wellness. GWI's research, programs, and initiatives have been instrumental in the growth of the $4.5 trillion U.S. dollar wellness economy and in uniting the health and wellness industries. Visit globalwellnessinstitute.org. On this episode, we have Pritam Datta. Pritam was born in Texas and moved with his family to Connecticut at the age of 10. He grew up playing tennis and the cello. While in high school, he began doing advanced research within the chemical engineering department at Yale University, and ultimately he chose to earn his undergraduate degree there. He opted to pursue a doctorate at Columbia University subsequent to that in machine learning and cybersecurity. He's an entrepreneur who launched a business in the cybersecurity space focused on small and medium-sized businesses called Alpha Secure. Pritam, thank you so much for being on our show. No, thanks for having me, Asim. It's a great honor. I've uh, been looking forward to this conversation um, because of uh, how much you've, you've accomplished and um, also just always very fascinated when people um, sort of uh, switch, um, not even really switch career paths, but just sort of take a, a turn and uh, we'll get into this, but uh, it seemed like you were had a career heading towards academia and now uh, you're an entrepreneur with a successful business on your hands. So that's, that's great to say, it's great to see. Um, tell me about um, uh, your family. Your parents are from Bengal originally. Yeah, so my parents are from Calcutta, you know, extremely well-educated. Um, and interestingly, like, it's their love for education, which kind of went into my sister and myself. And we always joked about it. Like, I almost had to get a PhD to be up to snuff with my family. Uh, both parents actually came to the U.S. to finish their doctorate degrees. Okay, okay. And what, what are their areas of specialty? Uh, dad is a chemist and mom is a biologist. Okay. Um, so you know, traditional uh, hard sciences. <laughs> right, right. And uh, are they in academia? No, it well, so my mom is a professor. Um, she teaches at Fairfield University, sure. but my dad is actually an industry person as well. He works, you know, he's the president of a, you know, chemicals company. Gotcha, okay. Now when they migrated, uh, did they move did they settle in Connecticut to start with? No, it's interesting. So my family's really tight-knit, and there's not much to my family beyond the people I mentioned. It's my mom, d- dad, myself, and my sister. So my parents came to the U.S. They went to University of North Texas to do their PhDs and had my sister. Um, then we grew up, in Conne- uh, grew up in Texas. And after Texas, my sister got into Columbia for undergrad. And so my parents, my dad, organically he claimed, got a job offer that moved him very close to her. Um, and so we relocated to Connecticut and I've been here since I was 10. Okay, gotcha. Wow, that's so funny. Um, I, I guess there's a theme there. Um, uh, I went to high school in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania and then college in, in Philly. And um, my dad relocated, he got a new job in Rhode Island and he was pestering me to, um, uh, to change to Brown. And I was like, no, I kind of like having this uh, buffer. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I always joke about it when I was picking colleges, you know, I went to visit Harvard and a few other schools 
and my parents were follow let's just say visiting with me very closely uh, to discourage me from going anywhere else. So I was very intrigued by, you know, Stanford and a few of these cross country schools. And when I went to visit Yale, you know, before committing to a school, they were totally hands off, you know, and Yale just happens to be 20 minutes away from my house. <laughs> and so the freedom I got 20 minutes away was greatly superior. So they, they, uh, you know, but I was very fortunate to go to Yale. So it was, I think it worked out really, really well. And I don't think I would have done as well anywhere else. Gotcha. And uh, my daughter's 14. And so uh, I've threatened her at, on occasion that if she goes to an East Coast school, we might up and shift. But uh, uh, she has a younger brother, so uh, it may not be so feasible. <laughs> <laughs> I try to sell her on the virtue. We're in Los Angeles, but I keep telling her about the, the virtues of uh, the Bay Area schools, such as Stanford. So let's see where it all shakes out. <laughs> Um, Pritham, tell me about growing up. Um, what were your passions? What were the, the things you wanted to do once you finished your homework? Yeah, so actually, even before I like finished my homework, I was like an avid tennis player. Um, oh, okay. you know, I, yeah, so I, I actually played tennis throughout, you know, since the time I was 10, I can't think of a, a day I did not play two hours of tennis. Wow. Um, okay. So I was a very involved tennis player. I actually was recruited to college uh, to a few places to play tennis, wow. um, but opted not to do that because I knew I wasn't quite the level that goes pro, but I was a very good player, um, really enjoyed it. And I also played the cello. So those were my two passions, very oh. uh, tr you know, traditional of myself, um, but I played the cello as well and really enjoyed it and played in an orchestra through high school. That's fantastic. Um, I love the cello. Um, I don't play, but um, I just am a big fan of classical music. Um, how old were you when you started playing? I was probably six. Amazing. Wow. Yeah. Um, I, I just, the, the range of the cello is uh, so phenomenal. And it's just got this uh, weight to it that really I feel is the backbone of, of an orchestra. And uh, some cello concertos are just so stunning, moving. Um, who are some of your favorite cellists? You know, it's Yo-Yo Ma. I think that's the one that comes to mind. And I've also really enjoyed modern takes on cello. Mm -hmm. um, I've enjoyed a lot of, you know, I remember this group called Bond. Um, mm -hmm. It was for, it was a quartet and right. it was an electric cello. Yeah, so, so I've really- Representative, a yeah, yeah, a female yeah. group, yeah. So I've really enjoyed the gambit of from classical cello, yo-yo ma, to more modern. Um, so I've really enjoyed it. Um, I, I've always found yo-yo ma to be technically uh, superb. Um, if there's one criticism, it's that uh, sometimes there's an emotionality that is not uh, that is a bit lacking. Of course, um, it's so easy to critique when you're not in it. <laughs> yourself um but uh i've always been a fan of uh jacqueline dupre okay. uh, and of course she had an untimely early uh passing um and uh, it was taken away from us too too soon but uh, pablo casals you think about his bach air suites it's just uh, absolutely stunning um yeah i could go on and on about this for for a long time um so i Actually, related to Connecticut, I was very close to uh, a family there who um, were, they were from Germany, which is where I was born. 
So we had that uh, that tie. They were never able to have children. And so they kind of, uh, the running joke was they had adopted me as their, their son. And I kind of, when I think about parental figures, they, they come to mind. They're no longer alive. But um, her, uh, the, the, the woman, her uh, brother, was the lead cellist for the Berlin Philharmonic, uh, Heinrich oh, wow. Mayovsky. And so they they lived in Connecticut, and so she would host like Herbert von Karajan in her home, along oh, wow. with these other cellists. And um, there was one story he would always share about a composer was um, uh, some some accident he was involved with, a stormy night. Um, a cellist in the orchestra came to his rescue, found out who it was, this composer and composer said, what can I do to repay you? And somehow they decided that they were gonna write compositions for 12 cellists. And so there's a series of recordings <laughs> of these <laughs> compositions for, for 12 cellists, including a few Beatles songs. Uh, it's a, again, it's like, it's the one instrument you can do that with given its range. And uh, somewhere I have a CD of it. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I'd love to listen. You should <laughs> I have to dig that up and find it. I'm sure we can find something on, on YouTube. It's just, I'm obviously dating myself. Yeah, I, CD is my, like my 12 year old son asked me a very funny question the other day. He said, daddy, when you were my age, what did you watch on Netflix? <laughs> <laughs> I'd have the whole conversation about VHS with him. And uh, he's like, wait a minute, you couldn't just watch whenever you wanted? <laughs> No, you actually had to go to the video store and yeah, it was a process. Block, blockbuster was still a thing then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, now uh, I'm just sort of triangulating age-wise. Do you identify as millennial? I do identify as millennial, um, but I think life experiences, you know, I feel a little bit older than that. And when I wake <laughs> up in the morning, the tennis knees, definitely, I, I feel those too. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, that's understandable. So um, tennis and cello, that's fantastic. Well, intellectually, what grabbed your curiosity? Did you, I imagine you read a lot. Yeah. So surprisingly, I read a fair amount, but the reading I did as a child, like from the time I was a ninth grader in high school, I was an avid researcher. So um, I actually started doing research at Yale when I was in ninth grade. And so a lot of the reading I have is not, you know, ninth grade. So not like not freshman at Yale, but a freshman in high school. And you're, yes. you're doing things. Yes. Like, well, that's yeah. So what, fresh. What department were you in? Or were you doing yeah. It? So I was in the chemical engineering department. I was super excited about nanotechnology. And so I was very fortunate. So I worked with a professor. His name was Professor Gary Haller um, and Professor Haller for some reason, entrusted a ninth, ninth grader in high school with a research project. And it was one of the most amazing experiences of my life to date, actually, was, and, and let's be honest, anything in science that happens, there's a little bit of luck involved. And I actually worked on discovering a new zeolite with a cobalt, you know, infused into it. And it was a lot of the things I did for the next three years, I actually continued to do it. So my high school experience was cello, tennis, and research. And <laughs> the research was really cool. It was actually accepted into a Siemens competition. Uh, so, uh, so it was amazing research, got published, and it was just an amazing experience. Well done. Wow. 
if you like kindred spirits um i was a science geek as well in in high school and um in ninth grade, I was very interested in material science. And of course, geography counts for so much. Uh, I was in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, where Lehigh University is. And so I was interacting with some professors there. And, um, but more by accident than, uh, than actual uh, intellectual talent, I created a new polymer. And um, of course, it had absolutely no usefulness at all. And so people were like, do you get a patent? And I'm like, it doesn't do anything. It's like, <laughs> it just, just exists. It just sits there. Like there's nothing more to do. So um, but that's fascinating. Um, yeah. And that you did that and, and kudos on, on making that happen. That's what ends up being a lot to juggle. Um, yeah, no, it was, you know, they, it's a PhD joke. You've got two options, research, sleep, or social. Um, and I think I adopted that mindset since the time I was in high school. <laughs> Extraordinary. Okay. So you had the strong tie to, to Yale. And so that, uh, made sense that uh, it was a good transition for you in that way. Um, so I know that part of your degree is in chemical engineering, but you've also done, uh, was it, uh, mathematical economics or? Yes. Yeah. So I was a double major in chemical engineering and mathematics and economics. Yeah. So share us about with us about that, the kind of interest in the, the social sciences and the most dismal of them. Uh, what attracted you to that? You know, I actually, my freshman year at Yale, I obviously had a very strong STEM background. So I had taken calculus when I was in high school and taken a lot of like college level science courses, but I did not have exposure to economics. And I took my freshman class, I still remember it was Econ 115 and it was St Stephen Barry mm -hmm. and prolific economist and just one of the nicest people I've ever met in my life. Mm -hmm. And I remember it was a 600 person lecture and I went into his office and he knew my name. And wow, I, I think that single incident of him knowing my name, being one of 600 students and I was not some remarkable prodigy child or anything. It was just, I was a normal student. And that experience opened my eyes to the professors in this department really care about students. And obviously his presentation was exceptional and I got really interested in economics. And I looked at the coursework and the reason for the mathematics portion of it was that I realized that I have a really technical background and I wanna understand how microeconomics works, how macroeconomics works. I don't want to just, you know, learn about the high level i'd like the theoretical math behind it as well gotcha yeah well then it certainly does make it uh, very rigorous um i uh tapped out at um uh, od ordinary differential equations okay. i was looking yeah. at that pd following semester i'm like uh, <laughs> I don't think I'm going to make that. Uh, and again, it was like the tension between what else could I take? Um, and so, uh, so yeah, that's, that's so interesting. Um, at what point, uh, I could even ask you about this for, in high school. Like, I was going to ask you, at what point of college did you realize, you know what, I'm going to go for that doctorate? But it sounded like that decision was made around 10. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it was actually, you know, that, that's a, a lot of me joking, but I think that the doc, decision for the doctor was largely a function of after I finished my undergraduate degree, I said, what am I really interested in? And I looked at areas of finance because that's a natural trajectory for a lot of, you know, my classmates and myself with a, 
you know, mathematical economics background. And I quickly realized that, you know, there's a whole nother side of application of math and statistics and it was machine learning. Mm -hmm. And I realized that, you know, at that point I'm 21, 22 years old, I have this opportunity in front of me that I can educate myself for the next few years, better myself. And I had that luxury, which I know a lot of people aren't as fortunate. Um, and that'll tie into things I'm sure we'll talk about later. Um, but I was very fortunate that I could afford to go to graduate school. Um, although I had a stipend and all those things, which was great. Um, but it was a luxury I had that I could take the time to better myself. And I was able to learn about machine learning, which is basically statistics, econometrics, all those things on steroids, uh, coupled with uh, cybersecurity. Well said, yeah. Well, and so where did the interest in cybersecurity develop while you were in grad school? So cybersecurity was a very interesting concept to me because I was always very interested in, I was not a traditional programmer by any st stretch of the imagination. And I was seeing hacks coming online and I would read about the hacks and there are four or five lines of code. And I was like, I could do that. <laughs> and, or I, I could learn about this. It's, you know, much more digestible. And pretty soon I started realizing what huge implications this could happen, uh, have on our economy. And like, you know, I, I was around the time, now I'm dating myself, but the Edward Snowdens of the world and sure. those incidents were taking place in the macro world. And I really realized that, hey, cybersecurity is becoming a top, top discussion for all companies. And I saw the wave and I, I've been very happy to write it. That's great. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, like you say, it was a perfect convergence of um, your skill set, your ability, and um, um, you know, also uh, advents and developments in, in machine learning and AI and, uh, and this arena, which um, is an industry that uh, could avail well of all those talents. So um, that was really smart. Um, you spent about five years at Columbia for your doctorate. Did you have a sense after while you were finishing your PhD that you wanted to start a company in the cybersecurity space? Yeah, so I think it became very obvious to me in my third year at Columbia. And it was kind of this inflection point where I finished all my coursework. I understood where everything was. And the very fortunate thing I had at Columbia was I got to see the cutting edge research taking place in cybersecurity, machine learning. And I realized that there's so many things happening in the space. There's so many problems to solve. It's you, you kind of throw anything against the wall and you're solving a new problem. And what really came back to me personally was I went to this conference called RSA Security, the largest cybersecurity conference, I think, in America. And I was, again, in awe, right? It's 100,000 people roughly there. And it was a lot to take in. And the memory that I have from that conference, aside from like the size of it, was how lost a lot of the small businesses were in it. And that's really what made me realize that cybersecurity is a big problem. Small businesses don't know what they're doing. Um, and that's when the spark started, uh, you know, started forming. Nice. That's great. So uh, you mentioned some of the finance work that you were involved with, like Bloomberg, uh, UBS, and, and a hedge fund. Um, was that prior to grad school? Yeah. So 
actually leading into my graduate school experience. Uh, so the UBS was before hedge fund experience a little bit before, and then concurrently with my PhD experience, I was very much exposed to hedge funds, um, both high frequency algorithmic trading, as well as more macro, you know, long short equity hedge funds. And that didn't uh, strike your fancy. Well, you know, I still have my relationships in the hedge fund industry. Um, I am one of the few cybersecurity only long short people I say out there. Um, <laughs> so I, I do, I'm very fortunate to have that exposure, um, but it's not something that I see that you can drive value. Um, you know, for me, it's, I, I think America was built on small businesses and I want to help protect, you know, we're seeing it with COVID and what breaks my heart personally is like, I'm seeing these small businesses. I was actually going down the street the other day, um, just my once a week outside, you know, see the real world experience um, due to the lockup. Uh, and I was just going around and I saw the small, small uh, Chinese restaurant that I used to always go to growing up, like for the past 15 years, probably. And it actually closed down because COVID just, you know, finally drove the business under. And so I saw, you know, events like that, COVID's really taking businesses and I see cybersecurity, small businesses are getting hit and they're not like large corporates. They can't afford to take that hit. And a lot of them are going under. And that's really what drove me to the space. Gotcha. Oh, that's so fascinating. And so um, tell us about uh, the origin of the name and the logo. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously I'm, I'm Indian by, you know, descent. I was born in the U.S., but I have very strong Indian roots. And so the elephant is a very powerful, you know, powerful creature um, in our culture um, in its strength. And the, you know, the trunk, the tusk being uh, lifted upwards is always a sign of good luck. And if you actually zoom in on the logo, you'll see that his eye is a lock. And so really it's a play on my experiences in finance, Indian culture. So alpha, everyone's looking for alpha, um, but it's the alpha. So we're looking for the alpha to help you get secure. Very nice. <laughs> You're going to chuckle, but um, about 15 years ago, so uh, when I was a partner in private equity, I was doing, um, we kind of had two areas, um, sort of industrial manufacturing that we focused on, but also um, sort of applied technology. Um, but I had experience with um, a company in Birmingham, Alabama that sold plumbing products. Uh, the whole thing, the way it came about was actually kind of funny because this, uh, we had offices all over the country. And then the deal team was, was me, a Korean American and a Vietnamese American. And we're like, we're the deal team for Birmingham, Alabama. This is kind of funny. Um, but it turned out, I mean, it's a real cultural mecca, um, the city, largely because of the university there. Um, but the, the two founders of this business were just these amazing gentlemen. We got along with them so well. Um, but I understood about the, the plumbing products business there. So uh, 15 years ago, when I had my own fund, I um, acquired this business that just happened to stumble upon here and... Um, Southern California, because they were still manufacturing here. And uh, I was just sort of salivated over that because I've done so much um, sourcing. And uh, I actually had a great deal of pride because I shipped all the manufacturing overseas, but I hired people and I retrained the machine operators to become warehouse experts. And so understanding 
how to do warehouse operations and I mean a forklift isn't that difficult to, to figure out um, but this was right before um, uh, the 2008 financial crisis and so we had two months in the red and I couldn't see a big I couldn't see a, a, a how it was going to turn um, and of course we're plumbing product was actually more building material so um, I, I shut the company down but because I had retrained the employees, they weren't just machine operators because there, there were no jobs to operate machines in Southern California. They, because they knew how to do warehouse operations, they all got jobs at like uh, Walmart distribution or Target distribution. So for me, this was like a great success story of how you can outsource, but preserve an economy and, and transition people to, to a service aspect. Um, and kind of that's just a transition of things. But uh, I ended up making all of like 50K on that investment because I got out. I was just, but I'm glad it was, it was a wash because there were so many other people in the industry that uh, they just, they lost everything. Um, the point of this whole story, Preetham, is to say that I changed the name of the company and I called it Secure Flow because ultimately that's what I figured these products were doing as plumbing products. They were secure <laughs> flow. And our logo, our icon was an elephant. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to dig up the logo and show it. No, I'd love to see it. Yeah. It's, uh, I feel a little badly. I mean, it's far less sexy than cybersecurity. Yeah. No, it's it's almost embarrassing how much time I've spent on this logo, and I've taken ownership. Where, if anyone wanted to get rid of the elephant, there were strong uh, strong denials on my part. My my logo is not going anywhere. It's uh, it makes a lot of sense though. I mean, you're talking, you know, you're mitigating risk, or you're addressing yeah. risk, and so that's you know it needs to be secure in that way. Yeah. And like, you know, the elephant is also wise. Like th there are so many positive connotations to it as an animal. Yeah. Um, I, I can't see why everyone doesn't love the elephant. <laughs> well, uh, I have a great photo of me and my son riding one. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. A, a summer ago. And he was like, my son was so chill being up there. He was really calm. <laughs> Very um, Maharaj of him. Um I wanted to ask you um, if you could describe to us the um, kind of competitive advantage or uniqueness of, of Alpha Secure without revealing uh, too much, but I think you're, you've got a very unique value proposition in addition to your focus on small businesses, which I think is, is great because it's an underserved market as you've pointed out. Um, but there are some other unique attributes so if you could just share with us. Yeah, absolutely. So Alpha Secure basically strives to be a true partner for the small and mid-sized business. And what I mean by that is we will basically assist you at every single step of the way for you to be a good risk for a carrier, which means that we will help underwrite your risk um, through a pretty proprietary technique, which gives you credit for being a better cyber risk. And it's not done in the rudimentary way that others approach cyber risk evaluation. Um, we will, upon your risk transfer, so when you purchase the policy, we actually offer you cybersecurity product uh, to alleviate your cyber risk. And we provide what we like to call the alpha heartbeat score, uh, which is a cyber, your cyber hygiene score of sorts um, that will be calculated on a, you know, every few minutes it updates. Um, and it really helps businesses understand 
what they need to do, how they're positioned, and this also correlates to rebates and incentives they might receive. No, that's great. Excellent. Um, I know you've got a, a YouTube channel as well, but uh, it's not uh, alpha related. <laughs> uh which one so my uh oh you have a few uh no (laughs) no so actually it's very interesting so i you know along with this theme of education i've been very fortunate on the educational front and so i had the luxury a few years ago a friend of mine classmate from yale he said hey what can we do to start doing educational content on youtube and so i wanted to help everyone get exposure to the do's and don'ts of college admissions and right that's what let's, yeah like so a lot of students are very fortunate they can hire private consultants you know it's a very lucrative pr- profession given how competitive colleges are becoming and i always was an advocate for you know this is almost wrong that some students are getting not only better educational benefits out of the gates but they're also getting someone helping them let's try to negate this like field um it also correlates actually in high school just to rewind for a second i actually worked on a i've always been about this educational gap it's like been one of my biggest prerogatives pet peeves um is equalizing the playing field for everyone so i actually launched the first ap calculus course at an inner city high school uh, in connecticut and I was very fortunate that we were able to get, a, you know, a few, you know, 10 students or so through this program after school, you know, college style um, and get them through an educational program like that. Um, they all did really well on the AP test. And, you know, it's been one of my lifelong pet peeves is that we need to help solve this educational gap. And, you know, it relates to me actually joining this nonprofit called Schools That Can. I recently was uh, selected as a board member for the nonprofit, and we're we're trying to do cybersecurity education in the same way. Oh, that's really smart. That's uh, that's a great idea. Um, looking at uh, the cost of education these days, there are a lot of people who are talking about um, or questioning its value. Which, of course, to uh, to people raised like you and me, we're like. <laughs> what (laughs) would you not brush your teeth i mean come on people um but you know at some point you can see the 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 arguments um and of course you know this is not going to be the case for my children but but others (laughs) uh, think about um you know maybe apprenticeship or or work experience uh, could be more more valuable um how do you react to that yeah i i fully understand it. Um, and for some industries, I don't know if a college education is necessarily the, the most beneficial path to proceed with. Um, and so I, a lot of companies that in the tech space, for example, have removed the requirement of an undergrad degree. And I fully promote that. And I actually think that that's part of the motivation for our cybersecurity program that we're running. Um, we're looking to launch it in Pittsburgh, uh, which is turning into a new tech hub. It's, I want to call it the East Coast Silicon Valley. Um, I'm not from Pittsburgh, but I hope uh, <laughs> that's, that's how they'd identify it. Um, a lot of tech companies are moving to Pittsburgh. And so we think it's a great spot to launch this program where we'll be educating high school students in cybersecurity so they can go directly from high school 
into getting a job in the in oh, the industry nice. um i think it's a tremendous opportunity and i, I uh, along with your point there is that a lot of students don't have the luxury to go to college like we did um and it's very expensive is it worth you know universities now are running you know with all things considered probably like sixty seventy thousand dollars a year that's a lot of money if you could not pay that and start working a job and help your family or help yourself. Um, I, I see a lot of value to that and I want to support those students if possible. Uh, yeah, a few, few thoughts. One is uh, Pittsburgh is like this intellectual hub. It's very well supported from a university standpoint with Carnegie Mellon and University of Pittsburgh there. Um, so uh, it, it makes sense that it would have this kind of um, technology orientation, of course, and it's a beautiful city, you know, steel magnets, one of them did a lot to, to build it up. And um, of course, Andy Warhol comes from Pittsburgh. And so there's a Warhol Foundation there. So a few things that uh, that puts it on the map. Um, the other comment, uh, you know, what I, what I have found is with, with um, the current orientation around education is that it's very driven to weeding out who will be good at rules-based professions. And uh, so I'm thinking about, you know, like medicine, law, where you have to digest a body of facts and be able to apply it in a real world setting. And so I think it does a superb job of identifying who those are, but uh, if there are people with other talents or proclivities, particularly on the creative side, which now is a hallmark of technology and technology um, education, uh, you know, creative solutions to problems, um, um, that's, that's key. And so, you know, and also you have the most successful visible billionaires as uh, dropouts of college. Um, that's also sending another <laughs> kind of message uh, in that way. Uh, and it, it reminded me personally of, um, you know, everyone, I did a very traditional investment banking analyst program at Solomon Brothers. And there's always that, uh, uh, once you finish it, that decision fork, do I go back for an MBA or do I stay? And, for several of us, it was, well, if we want to, if we just want to stay in banking as it is or finance related, then like we're going to lose two years, I'll pay for that to lose two years and then come out and be at the same level we're going to be if we just stayed. So that ended up being my decision. Now looking back, um, I think I might have preferred having gone for one. Um, just because of the power of the network, and, uh, and granted, I, I think I still rely heavily on the network at Penn, but maybe another school would have been would have been interesting. Um, but then I'm reminded that I don't have trouble making friends, so <laughs> um, hindsight being what it is. Uh, but uh, you know, I also think about a school like Minerva. Uh, are you familiar with them? I'm not on the West Coast. Um, so. Um, it's actually founded, it's an online education platform university that started a few years back. Actually, Lawrence Summers came to be the chairman post-Harvard. Um, the guy who founded it, Ben Nelson, is, was a, a roommate of mine when we were at school together. And uh, he, he's known for having the largest Czech uh, benchmark capital ever made, the largest investment they ever made into a, a startup. Um, and so extremely well. Um, and so um, they, their big proponent was overseas experience. So they have campuses around the globe. So as a part of, um, 
your degree at Minerva, you will be placed in Hyderabad, India, you'll be placed in Beijing, China, you'll be placed in South America um, uh, for several months. Uh, and now they've forged a partnership with this uh, school that's doing more apprenticeship uh, approaches to sort of hands-on experience so that um, graduates are coming out more able to add value from uh, uh, out of the gate, so to speak. Uh, you know, it's very interesting how this all is transitioning. Um, you know, my, my kids are have a more near-term uh, issue in terms of their education and educational placement. Um, I think things will look uh, even more different when it's time for your children to go. Uh, yeah, they to... first need to exist. But... <laughs> <laughs> well, if you buckled to the pressure of a doctorate under the system of Indian uh, moral <laughs> ethics, guaranteed you're going to give your parents grandchildren. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, you know, I personally see adopting kids as more of an option for myself. Um, wow, no, that's an interesting twist. Yeah, I just feel like there's so many children out there without homes. Well, you're right. And, yeah. and, um, you know, I, I consider the parents the people who raised the child. Um, so there's no, uh, so I have no issues on that front. So I feel that I think it's a great opportunity to help provide a better life for someone. Well, Hopefully okay. a better life. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. Um, and that, I think that's really big hearted of you. Um, your sister is older than you. Does she have children? Yeah, my sister has uh, two little kids. So um, you're getting to play uncle. Yeah. I get to play uncle, uh, the fun uncle who comes around, takes them out for ice cream. Um, <laughs> How old are they here? Yeah, so the little one is three years old and the older one is eight. So okay. good good age range. I can still pick them up, um, you know, squeeze them. <laughs> Doesn't and hurt all your tennis fun. knees. <laughs> no, no. The little one is super light and I can, yeah. you know. Now, uh, nieces, nephews? Uh, yeah, well, so uh, the older one is my niece and um the younger one is a boy so he's gotcha. nice. yeah. well and um it's always very significant the role of the mother's brother or brothers for uh, the kids there's a lot of ceremonial duty that we have throughout their lives particularly your niece yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. No, no. I think if they had their way, they'd come live with myself rather than their parents. So <laughs> I think I'm doing my job as an uncle well. That's it's only going to increase. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have to navigate that minefield very carefully. Um, but that's great. It sounds like they're nearby, so you get to see them regularly. Yeah. So in New York, from my apartment, they're probably 10 blocks away. Okay. Gotcha. So I see them often enough. Nice. Nice you know, we have been very fortunate and we have this excellent opportunity with Alpha Secure beyond just making a sizable profit for our company is to actually take that and do good for others. And so one of the core missions for the company is actually to take a percentage of profits and fund scholarships for women in developing countries so they have the opportunity to get a cybersecurity education, which can be done in a very short period of time and results in a very well-paying job. And so this has been, you know, a very fortunate avenue for us um, because we think this is the time for people to get educated during COVID, everyone's at home. But we also think that the tailwinds of cybersecurity are here to stay. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, I'm glad you mentioned this. I think this is just a phenomenal forward thinking on your part and a great social impact venture. 
Um, and then these are the types of arrangements that are going to be, that'll have longevity because it, uh, it, it's, it's helpful, but it's also, there's an economic case to be made for, for engaging in the activity. Just to crystallize it for our listeners, um, can you describe the type of training that these women undergo and then their job function once they begin working? Yeah, absolutely. So we do not want to pigeonhole anyone into a single career. And so this program that we're doing is actually an offshoot from what we're starting to do in Pittsburgh with Schools That Can. So what Schools That Can is doing is they're designing a full year curriculum where students learn about cybersecurity more holistically and then pick the avenue that they are personally interested in. So this is basically going to be condensed in a format for our applicants who get selected for the program. We will be providing them computer, internet access, whatever they need to be successful from a material standpoint um, to go through the boot camp in a condensed format that we're also designing. Um, coupled with the fact that we want to introduce them to industry partners who, you know, there's a, a ton of very successful cybersecurity companies that are looking for talent. And so we want to provide career mentorship because, you know, just learning something for the sake of learning is great, but to turn it and materialize it into a, you know, potentially an economic benefit is what we want to help uh, people accomplish. Excellent. Superb. Again, just um, really incredible thinking there. Um, and uh, it's already a success, which is great to see. I just, I hope it continues to grow and that you can impact more and more lives. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Preetham, this has been such a great conversation. Thank you so much uh, for, for sharing. Um, wish you all the best with your company. It's uh, in a great space, very timely. And um, I love the social impact aspect of it. So I wish you the best of luck. No, absolutely. No, thanks so much for having me, Esteem. It's been a great honor. Achieve is recorded at Subtractive and Hangar 8 at the Santa Monica Airport. Music is produced by Hennedy.